Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 492 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. What have you been up to this week? This week, I'm busy with our monthly fiestas for members of our Freelance Writing Masterclass program and Copy Club. This is where members get personal feedback, advice and guidance on their actual writing. It's great to be able to see the diversity of writing talent out there. There are so many options available to freelance writers and copywriters these days. And I love being able to guide them on improving their writing, pitching to editors and dealing with clients. But let's move on to our writing tip this week. If you're the sort of person who makes a lot of highlights in your Kindle or when you're reading something online, you might be interested in an app called Readwise. Basically, every time you highlight something, it gets sent to Readwise. And then once a day, it sends you an email with five of your highlights. So it's kind of like flashcards, but for the things that you read. It's really great for helping you to remember books or quotes or even online articles. One thing I love about it is that it includes all of your Kindle books. So sometimes a quote will pop up from a book that I read more than 10 years ago and had completely forgotten about, which can then lead to a little trip down memory lane as I go and look up the book or the author. You can also install an extension on your browser so that you can highlight articles that you read online. And it works with other e-readers as well, like Apple Books and the Libby Library app and Pocket and Instapaper. It even has tools to help you memorize quotes so you can hide a portion of the quote and then try to recall what it was. Not really using that function myself, but it's obviously useful for some people. So yes, if you have a lot of highlights and you want to organize them and reconnect with them, this is really great for compulsive note takers. Or you maybe you want to remember old books or articles that had an impact on you, then Readwise is a great little app. You can find out more at readwise.io. And of course, I'll put the link in the show notes. Let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of Serendipity by Oscar Farinetti to give away. A celebration of accidental success in the world of gastronomy. Oscar Farinetti, founder of high-end global food chain Eataly, presents this collection of insightful and entertaining interviews with leading artisan food producers, chefs, inventors and CEOs around the world. Reflecting on the accidental discoveries that gave birth to some of the world's most well-known gastronomic delights, including Nutella, the humble sandwich, French fries, the ice cream cone, rum and balsamic vinegar. I must admit I have not had that. These serendipitous tales ponder humankind's never-ending quest to discover something new and remind us that our mistakes, our flaws, our failures can often be the most necessary ingredient in finding success. So that's Serendipity by Oscar Farinetti. And I have three copies for you to give away. Entries close on the 1st of August. Just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win for your chance to enter. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because I'm about to tell it to you. The word of the week this week is FIPPLE. That's F, like F for France, I-P-P, 
F-I-P-P-L-E. Fipple. Do you know what it is? Well, I'm glad you asked. A fipple is a shaped section at the end of a pipe in which air vibrations are initiated when air is blown through it so as to cause all the air in the pipe to vibrate and to sound. So basically, it's the part of the recorder that you blow into or the wedge shape at the, at the top of an organ pipe. There you go. Fipple. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Now it's time for our writer in residence, but stick around after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. Today I'm talking to Kimberly Starr, who is an Australian novelist and English teacher. Kimberly has written several novels. Her first was The Kingdom Where Nobody Dies, and that was followed by The Book of Whispers. More recently, she released Torch, which was shortlisted for the Davitt Awards for Best Crime Fiction. And now her latest novel is The Map of Night, which is about a woman who goes missing and a husband who doesn't raise the alarm. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm talking about uh, my new book. Yes, I'm excited about your new book, The Map of Night. Now, for readers who haven't got a copy yet, tell us what it's about. Well, The Map of Night is about a woman who goes missing, as it says on the cover. Um, she's an astronomer and she lives in a small town in rural Victoria. So she's been there raising her daughter and working on an old telescope that she's updating. So where the story starts, she goes for a walk. She goes missing. Um, It's not giving too much away. I think it's there basically Mm. the preliminary information to say that she falls into an old mine shaft. This is gold mining land and all around the place there are mines from the 19th century that were never gazetted and people really don't know where they are and she follows her dog he goes off the trail where she's walking him she falls into a mine shaft and she thinks that people will come looking for her mm-hmm. and they don't mm. <laughs> so um that's that's where I started it's funny that that's what ended up as the question on the cover why isn't anyone looking because uh It's not my first novel, but it is Mm. the first time that my very first idea for the novel became the one that stayed on the cover. Now, one of the reasons people, uh, no one comes looking for her Mm. is, um, and this isn't really giving anything away because it's apparent from, you know, page one, um, her husband thinks that she's left him. Mm. So why did you want to explore all of that? Well, it, it is deeply about relationships. So it's about the, their relationship as a married couple and their relationship with their child at a time that all of their lives are changing. So 
Uh, Gabby is old enough to go to high school. Justin is focusing on his career and going into parliament. And Lucy is wanting to step back into the more scientific part of her career as an astronomer. After having spent some time doing something that was a little bit more casual, working on the refurbishment of an old telescope while Gabby was little. Mm. So the two parents are wanting to reclaim more of their life now that their child is a little older. And I think that there are a lot of people go along various parts of their lives assuming that everything is okay. It probably Mm. even, you know, without going too personally into things themselves, I divorced myself and there was that sense of realising in retrospect that my relationship had not been quite what I thought it was um, without suggesting (laughs) that any of my former partners would leave me abandoned in a mine shaft. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's what Lucy experiences as the real surprise in her relationship that Justin doesn't go looking for her. Mm. And I think there are other ways that he doesn't go looking for her also. Like he doesn't really care anymore about her career. It's mm. not that he wants to, to keep her down in a gender specific way. It's just that he has his own interests and that's really all he has. Mm. And so not going, he genuinely thinks that she's left, um, not necessarily for the whole story, but he genuinely believes that she's left. And that's because he sort of judges her through his own perspective of he thinks that she's leaving, that this is what people who leave do, and he, he's lost trust in her. So he thinks that something strange is going on. And he doesn't realise that it's the land itself. It's not Lucy. That, that's it's set in Bonus in the Yarra Valley. But yeah. is that a real place? It's based on a real town, but I changed the name because it's based geographically on a real town. But mm. I've taken bits of all sorts of towns. Some of them are significantly closer to Melbourne. Um, so it's it's. Gold mining territory. It's 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 in the gold mining area, which is quite a substantial part of inland, inland Victoria. But I've mm. taken bits from different places to create my own town because yes. I wanted to make an electorate. At, um, because one of my characters is running for parliament, and I just wanted to play around with it too much to make it a real place. Yes. So your main character, Lucy, is an astronomer, and her husband is the one who's running for parliament. He's an ophthalmologist. Why did you pick those um, professions, and why did you want that setting? Well, I, I mean, you know, that those circumstances. Well, I think the the political background comes from my own childhood, where I was. My father was political. He wasn't a member of parliament, but he was involved in the background of of political of electoral politics and so uh quite a bit of my own youth was on the hustings as we used to call it um handing out how to vote cards and things as a child I sort of wanted to play around with that a bit as an idea for my other character Gabby their daughter for what her experience is I also wanted a, a broad overview of the area where they live in a way that I think was fitted in with Justin. He, he he wants power. He wants control. That ties in a little bit to the idea of, of ownership of the land, I think. And one of his ways of asserting that he will regain the power and control that his family once had is mm. by attempting to go into parliament. Mm. Now, with her profession as an astronomer, mm. that's 
pretty um, unique. Not that many people are astronomers. Yeah. And and it's set in a situation where she um, works in an observatory in somewhere yeah. in the Yarra Valley. So where did the idea, do you have an interest in astronomy? I actually do. The the earliest part of the of my interest in astronomy comes from spending time with a telescope with my father when I was a child. When I was little, my dad used to take us, myself and my brother, out into the backyard and we had this little telescope and we used to look up at the stars. So he showed us the rings of Saturn and he showed us Jupiter's moons and things like that and even the Milky Way. We did live in the country and where I am now is very close to Melbourne and the city and the Milky Way, we've lost the sense of it, of why it's called Milky But when I was a child, we lived in the country and the stars were bright and the Milky Way was really rich and creamy. You could see why it had that name. And when I was writing a story that's about a marriage, but it's also about parents and a child, Mm. all of those formative memories for myself of time spent with my dad really came to the fore. Mm. And more specifically, I'm also a, a high school teacher And a few years ago when I was starting, I knew about the gold mine. I knew about that she she was lost. But I went on an excursion excursion with some of the kids from my school and it was a science excursion. I'm an English teacher, but we do this sometimes. (laughs) So I went on a science excursion and we went to a telescope and I just watched the way the kids were really fascinated by it and it just sort of chimed with a lot of the ideas that I was writing. Mm. So, yeah, that's how it came. Mm. And so this is not your first novel. You've written several. So when did you decide you wanted to write books? Oh, look, when I was about eight years old, my school had a book week short story competition. And I often think that's where I really decided that I was going to be a writer. But I think... I think even then I already knew because I had five or six short story entries ready for it and most of them I had drafted and put into little book things with staples down the side so that they looked like real books even then. <laughs> so I don't know when the idea first occurred to me. I think I just always think that that's what I wanted to do. So then you became an English teacher, which which kind of makes sense. And what yeah. then was the trigger that made you think I'm actually going to write a, it was a whole novel? The other way around. Um, when I when I when I went to uni, I, I I guess I thought I might end up in academia. I didn't. While I was at uni, I developed the ideal of never having a full time job. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I did I did casual jobs and part-time jobs for a while while I was working on books and I did a master's degree and I had a family and I just kept on with part-time jobs. And then I had my first novel published. I'm a, I was a really slow writer then. It was 20 years ago that my first novel was published. And so I, I had already published before and I had kids myself and they mm. were school age before it occurred to me that I might want to be a teacher. Oh really? Yeah. Wow, but what then made what made you think then I'm gonna become a teacher, you know? Yeah. Um well after a while my kids got to school age and I enjoyed spending time with them and I enjoyed spending time with their friends and I was a little bit sick of getting casual jobs working in department stores and doing accounts clerical work and mm. Um, you know, those sorts of jobs that come and go. That mm. not, they're, they're fine as jobs, but I was just starting to think I might want a 
more precise career. And also I, I knew I'd love teaching and I love English and I love, so it just seemed obvious. And I do, it is a great job. And so how do you fit in your writing and your teaching these days? What's the proportion of time spent? Um, probably about 50-50, I think. I th- um, oh, because, okay. Because yeah, you I, teach I mean, part-time. I do. I teach part-time. But mm-hmm. I, I teach four days a week and I write three days a week. So oh, it's a little bit less than 50-50 unless we have an eight-day yeah. week. But <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, like I normally set my alarm or I wake up naturally at about half past five, six o'clock, and I do a couple of hours writing before I go to work, then once I'm at work, teaching is just an all-encompassing job. Sure. <laughs> when I come home, I'm a bit tired, but sometimes in the evening I find some more time then as well. So tell me about the map of night then. When did you think of the idea and how long did it take to write your first draft? Well, the idea was simmering for a while. I think mm-hmm. that's true of, of all of my novels. So there were bits and pieces of the ideas. Like I knew I was going to write about an astronomer. I knew I was going to write about the gold rush at different times. The first draft, probably about a year. I think I am starting to get a little bit more um, efficient with first drafts now. So with Torch, my previous novel, it took years. That was about an arsonist and it took Mm. years to sort of pull it all together. So the map of night, probably about a year for the first draft and probably about a year to refine it. And did you you plan it? Like did you know what was going to happen? Roughly, roughly. Oh, you did from from the start? Yeah, yeah. So were you a plotter? Well, I I think this is the novel that taught me to be one. Really? Yeah. (laughs) So you weren't before? Well, I've always had rough outlines and they've always been very rough. Mm-hmm. And I think with my first draft of The Map of Night, it was it was quite different to the way it's ended up. It's benefited hugely from the, of the editorial experience. I've worked with a few editors at Pantera and they have been very, very helpful. I think that it was, I, I'm at the point now where I, I don't really want to treat this as something where I write a couple of pages and then I wake up the next day and I write a couple of pages of something completely different and at the end I try to stitch it all together and end up with, you know, three quarters of it not being usable. So <laughs> I think I've learnt to be a planner and my, my work that I'm doing after this I have planned and I think it's much better for it. So, so you're already working on your next one? I am. I am. I have a printed out manuscript of it here as well. It oh, wow. It like this. So it's oh, wow. Like this. But, um, <laughs> it's so my preliminary draft, so it's not quite the first. Sorry. It's my so, preliminary draft. <laughs> so in terms of your um, uh, writing, oh. do you write in Word? Do you write in cafes? Do you write at home? What, what, what's your process in your routine? All of those things. So um, when I talk about waking up in the morning and writing at that stage, I'm probably on my computer and probably typing. Um, At the moment, once I have a preliminary draft, it's so rough. And so at the moment I'm writing longhand. I I printed it out so that I can actually see it and I'm writing longhand editions. They look like that. Oh, wow. So um, it's, and then I'm going to have to um, scan it in and type all the corrections up. I just find, 
this is something I talk about with my students. I just find that writing access is a better part of my brain. Creating do you mean writing longhand? Writing longhand. So yeah. do you write your first draft, your preliminary draft in longhand, not just your editions but your actual? No, no. I probably plan in longhand and then when I've got a detailed plan then I'll type and then I'll print out my typed up preliminary draft, which is about... That, that was about 50,000 words, so right. it's about half of it, So, in, but in fleshing it out, which is really, I think, where the more interesting work comes, the character development, the description, yes. things like that. I'm just finding that I'm getting better ideas when I do it by longhand and colour yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like you kind of create the skeleton via yeah. the computer, but yeah. then you put all of the depth in it longhand. That's what I seem to be doing this time. And I think that that's Interesting. What, I think it's the first time I've done it that way. So I can't, can't claim that's the secret. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember who told me this, but someone said the, with each novel, you sort of have to learn how to write the novel. So, but I, I'm hoping that what I'm learning now, because it does, it seems like I'm writing better, um, faster this way. Like That's great. Sort of consciously knowing what I'm doing at each step. Like now yes. I'm planning. And now I'm putting together the architecture and now I'm decorating. So Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. And so do you write or do you have to write? I mean, when you're writing longhand, can you be on the bus or at a cafe or do you have to kind of be in your environment? No, I can write anywhere. I've got, I, I have three children <laughs> of myself and so I, it's nice when my house is quiet. <laughs> but for most of my life I've been in noisy environments and I've gotten very good at blocking Right. So I, I can write anywhere. I can write anywhere. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about writing this book? Um, I think structurally I did find this one a challenge. So I think that I had an idea of where it was going to start and where it was going to end. But the fact that Lucy is in a mine shaft for a lot of it and I think I, I tried, like, it's not my first novel. I knew I was trying something hard with the fact that my characters were going to be separated. Mm. And so I knew that I was going to have to use alternative ways of, of structuring the narrative. So working out exactly what they were going to, to be, what those ways were going to be was probably the hardest thing. And I didn't work it all out in the first draft. That was something I really needed to talk about with my editors. Now I'm really happy with it. I'm really proud mm. of it. I'm really happy mm. with it. That was difficult. Did you have to do a lot of research and what kind of research I then? I did. I did mm. a lot of research. Some of it was in, some of it was online, like reading about how mine shafts work and what the different bits and pieces of it were. Other bits of it were much more fun, like walking mm. the dog, going out into the bush, getting a sense of the, the smells that she would have smelled, finding a few old abandoned mm. mine shafts, some of which you're not allowed to go near. <laughs> And, are you know, they cordoned off? Some of them are. Some of them are. But some of them um, are. Some of them are almost. Well, some of them are in the suburbs. So um, they're behind fences, and you can get in. Like you don't have. It's not like an extremely sneaky thing to do to get in. You're not breaking and entering or anything. But there's just like the odd warning sign, and then you're in. A, then you're in the land where there's mine shafts. Did you go so, down any? 
I didn't go very far down down <laughs> the ones like that. Like those ones I tended to look at from the outside. So I went to Valhalla, uh, Valhalla out in out rural Victoria where there are old mine shafts and they are protected by heritage orders and things like that. And because I'm a little bit claustrophobic. Oh, my family would say I'm crazy, crazily claustrophobic. <laughs> when I was in them, I wanted to really make sure that every part of them was going to stay up. So for the parts where I went deeper underground, I went to places like that. Wow. Okay. But apart from researching mine shafts, um, did you do other kinds of research? I did. I, I went around to gold mining towns and I bought a lot of books about the gold mines and about the way Australia's society was structured in those days, even though that was just the background. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to know. I felt like I, I got a better feeling for the town for knowing how it evolved during that time and also for the political parts, mm. for how, how candidates were chosen and how the election was run. I actually sat down with my dad and had a, a couple of really long detailed interviews about what his job used to be. I'm really grateful I did that. Um, yes. The book is dedicated to him because you know, he died last year, so after I had done the first draft, but before any of the beautiful things like the cover were designed. Mm. And talking to him as a research was really very, um, gave me an insight on my own relationship with him and my own childhood. Wow. It was great, yeah. You say that you write a rough outline. Mm. So the premise you started with, though, was a lady who or someone who goes down a mine shaft, but so much, there's so much else, obviously, that happens after that. So does that come to you um, through a period of time where you just have to percolate on it and think about yeah. it and actually work out what happens to this story? Or is that something that happens as you're writing your outline? No, it definitely has to percolate. I think the outline is much is much more of a general thing. But there are things when I'm going through the story where I realise that Lucy is down in the mine shaft and I think about what Gabby's life is going through while her mum is there mm. and the drama of Gabby's life that I really need to be writing to see all the details, the conversations, the dialogue and mm. see where that, that sparks off. So my outline's probably five pages and it's okay. a read outline like I can show you my outline I'll just <laughs> it's not that long five pages is not that long no, and I sort of write it like that you know with what's yeah. going to happen in each chapter mm. and sometimes bits of it like that where what's going to happen to each character in each chapter so yeah right so the, the, um the so, so let's just go back to that um, table. You kind of had a table there, and I'll bring it up. <laughs> and is it kind of like you? Is that a scene by scene breakdown, or to well, say what? It's a chapter by chapter breakdown, right? And you the main things that need to happen. But it, but what are the columns then? The columns are this one is the main character and where it's set, right? And this column is what information I need to share in that particular chapter. Oh, like the function and, of the chapter. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this column is other characters who are involved and what I need to learn about them. Right. And this column actually, when I look at it, I'm thinking, oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> this column is questions that the chapter raises that I need to answer oh, later on. So it's really brilliant. the character, the, my major character and answers, my other characters and questions, I suppose. 
Yes. So that's fascinating. So is that step two after you write the the four or five pages? And then no, you that, break- that four or five pages look like that. Oh, really? Hmm. So your outline is a grid of, of sorts. It's it's yeah. a table that yeah. that is and so it's not, systematic. It's that is not very many words in it. So it's just a sure. it's, it's it's character. It's firstly character, and then it's plot, and the other yes, because the setting has already the setting is there at the start. Mm. So then it's characters and plot. So okay, so that is so systematic and so fantastic because <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's, it's because right. if it had been like that, it would have taken me much less time to write. <laughs> well, so that's the first time you've done it that way, is that right? right? Oh, okay. So it it makes so much sense because not only is it clear well what the setting is, obviously, and what the characters are doing, it it articulates the function of that chapter and it yeah. articulates the questions that the chapter raises, which is brilliant because yeah. then you can go back and see that they're answered as well. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, how I'm did you come upon this system? Well, I think, like I said, I think the map of night taught me this. I think after I went through and I had a first draft that was a little unwieldy and also every I had everything I wanted in it but too much and it was in the wrong order and I had to, you know, um, shuffle around with the structure a lot to get to the point where I'm so, I'm so happy with it but it was mm. a lot of work to get it there. Mm. But I did while I was doing that think. I now know, this is my fourth novel, so I now know a lot more about what sort of person I am as a writer and knowing that, what steps can I take to Mm. make my next project? It's not shortcuts. It's more just knowing what I need to do in a methodical way and doing that rather than wasting my time on the other stuff. (laughs) That's absolutely brilliant. Wow. Okay. That's, um, I, I really love that. <laughs> had you, had, because I mean, it makes so much sense. And a lot of authors do say that even if they maybe start out as pantsers after several books, they just want to become more efficient and they kind of end up having doing some level of plotting. I think, that's probably it. I think you've probably caught me just at that point where mm. I'm moving across to like I don't want to lose any of those ideas that come when you're completely free so I don't want to be nailed down to anything so like things move in and out of those columns all the time Mm, Um, I I, I don't want to be a a heavily I mean my stories have a plot there's a mystery there are things that have to be resolved but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that characters are my first love in fiction so you know yes it's not a tight grid that I have to stick to and in terms of your characters Hmm. how well do you need to know your characters before you start writing do you know them intimately or you discover them as you put the words on the page putting the words on the page to some extent is getting to know them Mm. so I know certain things about them I know the obvious things that you'd know about someone that you meet Um, I don't know a lot of their attitudes I don't know a lot of their vocabulary. Um, those those things that really personalise them as characters, I get to know as I write them. And then when, when I get to the end, I have, you know, one of the main editing things is going back to the beginning and making sure that the person that I now know really well is there right from the start. 
Mm-mm. Now, you lived not far from the Yarra Valley previously, yep. and this is yep, set right. in the Yarra Valley. And yep. I actually lived in the Yarra Valley for, Yarra Valley for three years. And so yep. I was reading this going, oh, I, is, that the, that, is it that the Mechanics Institute that I'm thinking of <laughs> or the Mechanics <laughs> School of Arts or whatever <laughs> and all of that? Um, so have you, and it, it's a small town, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Have you had people say, did you write about me? Was that about so-and-so? Was that about no, you know? no. Look, I know people who have that, who talk about that and say that that happens to them all the time, that people that they know think that they're in their books. And it, I, maybe people whisper that behind my back. <laughs> I've never had anyone ask that. Uh, I, I don't think my characters are like anybody that I know. So I think... Yeah, no, I haven't had anyone ask that. <laughs> All right. Um, so finally, what are your top three tips for writers who want to be in a position where you are one day? Oh, I would say firstly, firstly, stick to it. Mm. It's hard. So I've had a few books published now, but I have more books than that that are on my computer and will never see the light of day. And I think like each time I wrote one of them, I thought that that might be it, that I might get a publishing contract. But I learned something from each. I'm still learning now, obviously. That's mostly what I think we've been talking about. But before I was published, I learned a lot more and I learned a lot from each book that I wrote. You learn from the books that don't succeed, I think, mm. a great deal. So stick to it. Would be stick to one. it, yep, great. Yeah. Number two would be find your, find your voice. Like find find the way you want to tell a story and mm. think about what writers you like and what writers you don't like as much and try to identify what you like and just play around with different styles and until you find your voice. So, right. um, so that would be what makes you different from other writers because yes. even in a field... Um, like um, rural literature in Australia is having a bit of a moment, but the writers in it are all quite different. Mm. So find your voice would be number two. And number three would be, oh, find some other writers to be friends with. (laughs) (laughs) I have over the years belonged to a few different writing groups. And right now, most of the writers I know, we used to share a lot of work in progress to give each other advice. We don't do that so much anymore, but we do share publishing stories and Mm. where we're up to and and things like that that help you build a little bit of a community. So um, find other people. I love it. Yes. Yeah. So important. Well, congratulations on your book, The Map of Night by Kimberly Starr. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Let's hear from Sarah Bailey. My name's Sarah Bailey. Um, I've got a debut novel through Alan and Umlin out at the moment. It's called The Dark Lake, it's a crime thriller. 
I was working in advertising at the time and I was working at a great company and had a really sort of good career, but I just had this burning desire to write all the time. I'd heard really good things about the Australian Writer Centre's course. Um, the reviews were always really positive and people always sort of providing really good feedback on social media. So um, I just thought that was a really good place for me to start. I found Nicole Hayes, the tutor that I had in the course that I did through the Australian Writer Centre, really inspiring. Um, really down-to-earth um, teaching style, but just a really great way of um, pulling together some of the writing skills that she's picked up over the years. She had such a passion for narrative and structure um, and being a published author, she had some, some really practical um, advice and knowledge to share as well. The process for me was just setting my own deadlines, which was something that was covered off in the Australian Writer Centre's course as well. Went, this is how many words I'd like to have by these different points along the year and then I um, just worked towards getting the words down and then I sort of um, approached agents and then the agents helped me approach publishers. In the end when Alan and Unwin decided to publish the novel and um, that was all confirmed, it was, it was amazing. It was just such an amazing um, experience to go through and I felt really fortunate um, but also really proud because it had obviously been you know, a really hard, um, hard sort of journey to get there. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that writing was something that was really, really important to me. And then of course, you know, through meeting the people and the tutor that I had, I also picked up a lot of really invaluable skills as well. I think it really just set me off on the right path. Um, and then since then, obviously, so much has happened in my world in terms of writing that I really do see it as the first step um, that, I, that I took along that path. It's amazing. I've, I feel very, very fortunate to be in the position where that's, that's my current life. So I think that was a, that was hugely important um, in terms of getting getting started. Definitely, anyone who's interested in writing and sort of taking a, a, a more serious step toward that as a career or even just a, a more specific hobby, I think the Australian Writer Centre's courses are really worthwhile. I think it's just it's always nice to be um, in an environment where people are passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, and I think that the, um, the skills and the information that you get from, from courses like that just, just help you sort of really focus. For me, the creative writing course was, was a great starting point. I think it just made me um, rediscover my love for writing at a basic level all over again. Um, so I think that I've definitely spoken to other friends and have suggested that they give it a shot. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. Now, I know that a lot of writers would love to have their own study or even a writing shed, but the reality is that most of us write in the middle of the house, at the kitchen table, surrounded by the chaos of home. And the good news is that that's how lots of famous authors write. This is from an interview with E.B. White, who wrote the children's classic Charlotte's Web. I'm able to work fairly well among ordinary distractions. My house has a living room that is at the core of everything that goes on. It's a passageway to the cellar, to the kitchen, to the closet where the phone lives. There's a lot of traffic, but it's a bright, cheerful room, and I often use it as a room to write in, despite the carnival that is going on all around me. In consequence, the members of my household never pay the slightest attention to my being a writing man. They make all the noise and fuss they want to. If I get sick of it, I have places I can go. A writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to work will die without putting a word on paper. 
I love that because often we think that we need to have the ideal conditions. We think we need to have our long service leave from work or we need all of the children to be quiet or we need that beautiful writing shed in the backyard that overlooks the fields or something like that. But really, and ideal conditions never eventuate. So I think that's great advice. Write with what you've got. And I hope that's what you're going to do this week. All right, we've come to the end of this week's episode. I hope you have a good week. You can connect with me on social media. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. Of course, please join us in the Facebook group, in the podcast listener community. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join. I'd love to see you in there. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.